This is Archive Atlanta, episode 25, Vinings. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey guys, hope everyone had a great week. One quick reminder that I mentioned at the start of the last episode, Phoenix Flies starts tomorrow. I will be doing the Sweet Auburn tour at 11 a.m. It's totally free, so come out and learn more about this amazing street. And if you come and you listen to the podcast, make sure you tell me so, you know, I don't not get to say hello. But also, if you don't do my tour, make sure you check out the program that's in the show notes and find something to do. There is no reason to be bored this weekend. When I started the podcast, I realized that there are so many topics in just Atlanta alone. And Atlanta's weird in the way we define it. There's Atlanta proper, then there's Metro Atlanta, which basically means that when you're traveling and someone asks you where you're from, you say Atlanta. But you might live in Roswell or Tucker or, you know, pick one of those. And I needed to create a rule, so to speak, to keep myself organized. And so I decided that all of my topics in this podcast would be about things inside the perimeter, or ITP. Of course, it's never that cut and dry, but it keeps me focused, because let me tell you, the list of potential topics is so long that I definitely need some focus. And before the OTP residents write me angry emails, I also live OTP. So yes, the secret is out. To my credit, the perimeter is about three miles from my house, but co-parenting works best when you live near each other. And honestly, Atlanta's way out of my single mom price range at this point, which is the case for almost everyone, which is a whole other podcast. Uh, I am working on ways to share OTP stories with you guys, so look out for that soon. All of that to say that this week I am doing an episode on vinings, which until last week I thought was outside the perimeter. But it turns out it's actually the only town in Cobb County that bears the ITP badge. Now, if you haven't been to Vinings or you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't blame you exactly. It's only a little over three square miles and it's never been incorporated. For many years, the Chattahoochee acted as a natural divider between buckheaded Vinings. And it wasn't until the bridge was built in um, 1904 that that would bring major development to the area. And if you look at the map now, official Vinings is sandwiched between the Chattahoochee River and Interstate 285. So it's kind of this, not island is not what I want to say, but it's definitely a place that I can see where you might not drive through unless you have to. As with every story in Atlanta, we must begin with the natives that lived on this land for centuries before the arrival of the white man. Interestingly, in most of the episodes that I'm talking about, I talk about the Muscogee or the Creek Indians, but today I get to mention the Cherokee. An entire episode devoted to the Native Americans of Atlanta area or Georgia is definitely coming. But the simplistic way that we teach about tribes in this area is that the Cherokee lived north or west of the Chattahoochee River. And the Muscogee, or what the white man has renamed the Creek, lived to the south or the east. There were two Native American villages on each side of the Chattahoochee in this area. The first white settler to occupy the land was named Hardy Pace. And there's a complicated version of how he amassed this land, but at some point he has hundreds and hundreds of acres and his land travels all the way up into the suburbs. The Indian Removal Act was signed in 1830 and by 1831, the land that I'm talking about today would be surveyed and by 1832, Cobb County is formed. 
named for U.S. Senator, State Representative, and Superior Court Judge Thomas Cobb, it would be one of the nine counties carved out of this Cherokee territory. And I've mentioned the land lottery before, but this was one of seven land lotteries that the state of Georgia used to redistribute Native American land. What I learned in this research is that Georgia was the only state to have this lottery system. The land lots that would include vinings were broken out into two different options. There was the gold, which was 40 acres, and the agricultural, which was 160 acres. Now, I didn't delve into what gold meant. I'm assuming it was prime land, or maybe it was closer to the river. I'm not sure. White men could enter more than one lottery. So what would happen is that most men won the lottery, and then they would turn around and immediately flip it for profit or give it away. And I was telling someone this week, you read the same thing over and over, and you know the history, but at some point it clicks. And I'm reading this, and I'm realizing we take land away, We give it to white men for free, and then they go on and make profit from it. But, you know, that's another episode. (laughs) Remember, this is the 1830s. There's no Atlanta. There's not even a semblance of Atlanta. And this is the wilderness. I mean, there's no law. There's no roads. There's no nearby big city. Hardy Pace was a pioneer in all senses of the word. The Cherokee had already been operating a river-crossing ferry when he settled the land. It's historians guess that he purchased the ferry from the natives, and this is where we get the famous street name, Pace's Ferry Road. And this repeats throughout Metro Atlanta. If you've ever heard of Powers Ferry, Nesbitt Ferry, DeFores Ferry, I mean, if there's a road with the name Ferry in it, this is how we get that name. And I don't know about you, but I understand in concept that they operated a river ferry, but I really had no idea what that looked like. In the book on bindings I was reading, they have a historical drawing. And let me tell you, it's kind of amazing to see. I'm going to put a photo on the website, but I grew up very close to the Hudson River. And this is not what I picture when someone says ferry. Um, What this early structure looked like is really like a large wooden raft. And you would step on it and then you'd be pulled or paddled to the other side. So whenever you're driving across a Chattahoochee, keep in mind that more than 150 years ago... That was not possible. And if you're wondering where this wooden ferry would cross the river, it's right where the bridge near a canoe restaurant is today. So there is a bridge for motor traffic that you drive over, and then there's an older steel pedestrian bridge alongside it. By 1837, the Western and Atlantic Railroad is approved to be built, connecting Chattahoochee with this random spot in the middle of northern Georgia. And of course, that spot would become Atlanta that we know today, But before that could happen, speculation and development started to pop up along this proposed rail line. I always tell people to think of this kind of like the Beltline. We know where the Beltline is going to go, and we have seen those property values and real estate speculating um, in a pace that has been ridiculous. This is kind of the same concept. People begin coming to the area of Vinings just sort of waiting for the railroad jobs to arrive. One of the hardest part of building this rail line was going up what they called Pace's Mountain. And this would also increase slave labor because owners could actually make a dollar a day sending their enslaved men to work on the railroad development. White workers would have established rough shanty towns, but blacks lived in isolation or in mobile camps. And it's thought that the origins of the African-American population in Vinings, which I'm going to get to a little later, begin with these railroad people. 
a railroad station developed at this river crossing, and it would become Vining Station after William H. Vinings, who was the designer of the Trestle Bridge at Stillhouse Creek. The men that also came to work in the area, they would name their settlement Vinings Camp. By the 1840s, Hardy Pace owned a ferry, a gristmill, a tavern, a farm, and 23 slaves. His wife, Lucy Kirksey, had died in 1842, and his children were almost all grown, and they had each married and moved away. Lucy would be the first to be buried on top of what locals called Pace's Mountain, like I said earlier, in a small family cemetery. Hardy Pace would live in relative peace and prosperity until around 1861. And we all know what I'm about to say here, right? The Civil War. And actually, it would be the last year of the war, 1864, that this area that people were calling Crossroads would be impacted. The Union Army arrives via train into Vinings in July, and they quickly take possession. General Sherman actually takes the Pace home as his headquarters and uses the tall Vinings Mountain as his lookout to survey the upcoming battle. He would stay in the house for 11 days, and when he leaves, Sherman does what he does best, which is burns the house down. The only thing that remains are the stone steps. Pace does what most people did. The second Sherman gets there, he leaves. Uh, He went to live in Milledgeville, but he dies just a few months later. So his body is initially buried in Milledgeville, and then it is reinterred on the top of Vinings Mountain with his wife. After the war, Hardy's son Solomon would return and rebuild a home on the original spot of the first. So he would reuse those stone steps that were left And exciting stuff is that that house is still there today, and it's owned by the Vinings Historic Preservation Society. I got to go inside. You guys can go inside, too. You just have to stop by the little visitor center. Um, It's amazing. I have photos on the website if you guys want to see, but I highly recommend a visit. It was completed somewhere between 1865 and 1874. They're not exactly sure. But inside, they have photographs or paintings of all of the Pace descendants. And then they have what I'm assuming are original copies of the land deed documents. In this post-war reconstruction era, as Atlanta is being literally rebuilt, the Western and Atlantic Railroad would construct five open-air pavilions along the route to get Atlantans out of the city. Again, it's important to remember the city limits we're talking about are really small compared to what we have now. So day trips to Grant Park or Ponce de Leon Springs, they, they were considered far away and it was really a societal affair. One of these pavilions opened in 1874 and was in walking distance of Vining Station. And the pavilion held picnics, um, dancing, just any kind of social event. Another amazing preservation story is that this pavilion still exists. It was purchased in the 40s by a descendant of Hardy Pace, and she added walls and windows. And then I think in the late 90s, it was threatened with demolition, so they moved it. So now it exists right next door to the Solomon Pace home. And actually, the entire thing is an events facility. So if you're looking for a place to get married, I would check that out. Now, if you've driven through the Heart of Vinings, and I call the Heart of Vinings where Pace's Ferry Road um, and meets Pace's Mill kind of intersection, if you've been stuck in train traffic, let me tell you, nothing will get you in a rage faster than being stuck at the Vinings train on your way to work in the morning, but I'm getting off topic. Um, At that intersection is a small white house with a picket fence, and that serves as the Vinings Historical Society kind of welcome center 
Um, it was built in 1880 by the husband of Ella Pace Yarborough, which she was the granddaughter of Hardy Pace. The cool part is that it stayed in the family for over a century. And then over the years, it had been added to, it was changed. It even ran as the Old Vinings Inn restaurant, which eventually moved across the street. But miraculously, it has been restored to its original iteration, which means there's no bathroom inside. <laughs> that, that kind of surprised me the other day, but it's, it's very small. But I do love that it looks as it did in 1880. One of my favorite pieces of Vinings history is that of the distillery. I'm not sure if anyone has heard of Rufus Rose um, or knows about his mansion on Petrie Street, but quick story here. Rufus Rose was born in Connecticut, moved to New York, where he was a practicing druggist. and We call that a pharmacist now. And he eventually moved to Georgia. He joined the Confederate Army, fought in the Civil War. And after the war, he moves to Atlanta and founds the R.M. Rose Co. Distillery, also known as the Mountain Spring Distillery in Vinings. The operation ran from 1867 up until the state of Georgia went dry, which I think is 1907. But I have an entire episode 15 on Prohibition that gives you those details if you want to listen. He made corn and rye whiskeys, and then he would sell them from his retail stores that he had in Atlanta. Now, I need to thank my friend Jeff for this history. Remember, he's the guy that wrote the book on Westview, but he is a huge Rufus Rose fan, and he's done tons of research, and he's set some facts straight for me with this episode. There is a road in the heart of Vinings called Stillhouse Road, but that's not where the distillery building really was. It was actually located where present-day Cumberland Road crosses over 285. So right near the police station, and there's like a weird bunch of satellite dishes. <laughs> If you've driven past that, you know what I'm talking about. But right there was the Rufus Rose Distillery. If you venture further into Smyrna, the distillery manager's house was in the building next to the CVS at the corner of Atlanta Road and Spring Road. Jeff has a brick from the old distillery um, at his house, and those bricks were used to build the restaurant that's now Canoe, which used to be called Robinson's Tropical Garden. In 1904, a small one-lane bridge was constructed across the Chattahoochee to replace Pace's Ferry. This is the bridge that you cross um, near the Lovett School and near Canoe, and it would be that year that Vinings is officially named so and recognized as a town in Cobb County. In 1905, a trolley line that connects Atlanta with Marietta opened, and there was one or I think even two stops near the Vining area, and this would really begin a boom for the small enclave. So wealthy Atlantans begin to take summer homes here, um, or again, go to those pavilions or take the trolley, just more people are visiting. At the beginning of the 20th century, you start to see several African-American churches popping up in Vinings. There was a historically black settlement um, that was sort of on the outskirts of Vinings, but I assume that they would attend these churches as the distance was really not far. And it's hard for me to find exact dates that these churches were built, but I do know that the cemetery property was purchased in 1911. So we're going to stick with, you know, give or take five or ten years. Today I'm going to mention two, Mount Sinai and New Salem AME. The first, Mount Sinai, was on Vinings Mountain. And it had the largest black congregation in Vinings. New Salem held what was then called a, quote, colored school, which was grades one through three. That's it, with one teacher. Together, these churches purchased land in 1911 that would be used for their members' burials. 
Now, in the latter part of the 20th century, as the development really boomed in bindings, these churches sold and moved, but the graves remain. And this is a broader topic that's been happening all around Atlanta, um, most prominently with like Friendship Baptist selling to make room for the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But I've said this before, that's why I love cemeteries. They are the only things that have some sort of guaranteed permanence. The crazy thing here is that large, tall office buildings were constructed all around, and then these graves just exist almost randomly now on a hillside. I think the Boy Scouts began caring for the cemetery, um, but then another organization, I'm not positive about what the status is now. I know they look very abandoned, and I haven't yet been able to go out there and explore because it's been raining every day. Uh, I'm going to include a link in the show notes, though, so you guys can see where it is and you can check it out. Before we end the episode, I want to tell you more about this mountain. It's gone by many names, Paces Mountain, Signal Mountain, Mount Wilkerson, and Vinings Mountain, as we call it today. And if you want to get to the top, the road that leads you up there is called Overlook Parkway, which is also the name of the large building that sits on top. Um, But the road dead ends into Mount Wilkinson Parkway. And that road and the former mountain are named after Mel B. Wilkinson, who was co-founder and first president of the Atlanta Scout Council, like the Boy Scouts. This mountain was actually home to Camp Burt Adams, which was founded in Vinings in 1928, and it has a claim as the first permanent Boy Scout camp. Now, the camp still exists, but they sold their Vinings land for development and moved south of Atlanta. At the very tippy top of this mountain is still the Pace Family Cemetery. And guys, if you go to one place I mentioned today, please let it be here. It's listed as a private cemetery, but um, I went to my lunch hour and the gate was open, so you're able to just drive up to the top. It has an insane view of the skyline, which I do have a picture for you guys. Um, But it also has the graves of Hardy Pace, his wife, his kids, but also generations of descendants that came after him. There are very recent markers here. Um, The earliest graves have been damaged by vandals, which I think is why this gate exists. But I love this spot because all around you is modern. The towering office buildings, you know, the Atlanta skyline. But you're standing at this place where Hardy Pace stood in the 1840s, mourning the death of his wife. So it's moments like that that give my historian heart kind of chills. Um, It's just that perfect connection between the past and the future. And the last story to share about Vinings could not be anything other than this one. In the 1970s, this three-square-mile ITP enclave was home to a 780-foot ski slope. Yes, a ski slope in Atlanta. From what I've read, it was not snow. It was covered in astroturf, which was then covered with white plastic pellets. (laughs) So... This whole thing just made me laugh. Oral histories share that like after a day on the slopes, you have pocket full of these little white balls. Uh, But the best part was there was a three-story lodge with a restaurant, which was home to the Atlanta Ski Club. So if you're wondering what the heck all of this looks like, I found a historical photo to put on the website for you guys. There you have it. The story of the only Cobb County town inside the perimeter. Findings. There is a book that I have been talking about. I put a link in the show notes. But I also implore you to visit and check out these historic places. If you've never been on the Chattahoochee West Palisades Trail, it's basically right next door and it is worth a trip alone. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys are all enjoying the podcast. I appreciate all the reviews and comments and shout outs. If you haven't yet rated or reviewed the podcast, I would greatly appreciate you taking a few minutes to do so. 
remember to tag me in any photos you take in your explorations, and have a great weekend!